There's a lot of people in this room that have a lot of disappointment. Maybe not specifically this room, just in the world in general too. But I think that God wants um, to address that today. So um, I guess we could do it. If anybody feels like they want prayer for disappointment, they can come up to the front. And then can people come around them and pray for them? nobody's disappointed that's a really good thing but if there's any I think that we need to do something today um, especially with getting our hopes up so if anybody has any sickness or injury or any issues in their life that um, they need healing for I, I would love people to come up to the front and get prayed for today testimonies of healing.
I declare a rising up in the body of Christ in the power that they were born into when they were saved and um, the strength and the wisdom to that we'll be pushing past all the obstacles that Satan puts in front of us and moving forward um, a lot further than the world has seen in a really long time. while we're praying uh gene here is visiting with us this morning and he just has a he just wants to share a testimony this morning good morning uh, i think uh, i i used to attend this church a few uh, years ago about i think about two years ago i used to attend the church and then i i relocated to edmonton uh, I, I am just visiting it today, and uh, I, 
I saw something and then it, it touched my heart and I, I felt that I need to say what's on my heart about it. So when I, when I see these young kids here, Uh, it touched my heart because uh, uh, the thing I felt is that um, if we are not as a church um, if we are not be able to to effect or change in other words uh, outside the church we are against you know, the world so for them to be able to be affected, to be able to, to be in the church and be a, a part of it, it's, it's, it's something that uh, I, I think the thing is, if you are not able as a church to affect and change the young kids, then as a church, I think we are, we, we, we are failing. Because they, they they are the tomorrow. So I think it's such. I think it's such a, a blessing for. For the judge to have them, I can't stress enough how I feel. It's 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 a blessing, and uh, I think we need to do more. If we are able to, if if you want to uh, to if, to affect, if to be effective in the community, then that's that's the tomorrow. Thank you. been ministering a lot to disappointment and um, discouragement in the last probably month and um, just people have been going through things and I just want to read from um, Romans 5 it says and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God not only so but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope and right in that place of perseverance, disappointment wants to come in and have us make agreement with it and take us away from hope. And it's a spirit that comes and speaks. And so I just, um, I just speak hope into your, each of your hearts who are persevering. It's a, it's a thing of God to strengthen our hearts. But the enemy comes in and wants to take us the opposite way because what is God is producing in perseverance is hope. And then at the end it says, And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So I just, um, I just break the agreements with disappointment and um, discouragement. And just, um, I just declare the hope of God over each one of you when you're going through things. Amen. That's a good word. 
That's a great word. And we have another. I'm a miracle. I want to let you know I'm a miracle. Some of you know and some of you don't. But two weeks ago, tomorrow afternoon, I had a heart attack. It was a classic textbook heart attack, but not for women. Women typically do not have the textbook heart attack. It's hidden. Statistics say that only 10% of particularly postmenopausal women who have a heart attack survive. I'm a 10%. I thank God for all of your prayers. I had a, an 80% blockage in my left artery. They put a stent in, and I only had mild um, heart damage which my doctor told me on Friday will recover once I start my rehab and get my heart working. What that basically meant is is that that part of my heart on my left side was not quite as kinetic as the rest of my heart, but as I go through exercise, it will recover. But I thank you for all of your prayers because I felt them. I did not feel worried or concerned during the whole ordeal. The Lord was with me through it all. Thank you. Amen. 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 And another testimony. Um, I, I'm taking a music program in Augustana, and I have a friend who also plays piano and practiced all summer and hurt her wrists. And um, she had to wear wrist braces and, like, do a bunch of stuff. So I'd been praying for her since the beginning of the school year for healing, not seeing anything, though. So I'm like, okay, God, like, what do I need to go after with this? So he kind of showed me some stuff. So on Wednesday at our Bible study, um, I was praying for her wrist. And every time she turned it, you could hear click, 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 click. And that's part of what was causing the pain. So I prayed. She turns it. Nothing's happened. Pray again. And then I prayed a third time, and it was just clicking, and then nothing. And she's turning, and there's nothing. And the pain went... So that was so cool because this is at my Bible study where, like, most of the people there haven't seen healings. And you could, it went from clicking to nothing. So that, like, really built the faith of the room. And then every time when I saw her in class after, she'd be like, Marianne, Marianne, listen to this. Do you hear anything? Nope. Because, <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was a really cool healing I got to see this week. Amen. Amen. You know, we don't always have spontaneous popcorn testimonies in church, you know, because sometimes we tend to maybe over plan, but it's great, isn't it, to, to just just allow God's spirit to move. I mean, you're glad that that's happening now. Um, you know, and it's going to share just in, in a moment here, but just, you know, this is biblical, by the way. You know, Ephesians uh, 5 tells us that. Paul writes, he says, um, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And uh, sometimes we stop reading right there. But uh, there's a contrast here. When it says be filled with the Spirit, it means to be under the influence, right? You're not under the influence of, the, of too much wine, right? And you're, and you're kind of staggering around and you're not really sure what you're doing. But you're under the influence of God's Spirit, and so then he, he, he continues and he says, speaking to one another, which we're doing now. 
And it goes on to say, Paul says, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual, or excuse me, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, all, always giving thanks to God Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're doing right now as we give testimonies. We're giving thanks. We're giving glory to God. This is worship, by the way. We're, we're continuing in our worship. This isn't You know, this isn't a different segment of the service. We're continuing to give glory to God as we sing and as we testify, as we praise Him. And uh, it's doing my heart good. How many uh, else is being blessed by this? This There's a a really great uh, long line of tradition in the Pentecostal church to give testimonies. And if anybody ever read Azusa Street's history, you'll you'll note that uh, there was people who would wait a whole hour or longer just waiting to be able to give a word of thanks to God. But I won't make Ed wait an hour. Oh, no, I only have a short thing to share. Why are you laughing, Ryan? <laughs> he says he won't wait an hour, and then he hands the quote to, to you. Yeah. You know, that's a great intro. Give the Lord thanks in everything. Because, you know, the morning in question when Cheryl had her heart attack, I was off cutting firewood. And I always, 99.9% of the time, always have my cell phone with me in case I get hurt in the bush and I could call for help. And I didn't have my phone with me. And, uh, and I was with my son, and he didn't have his phone either. And, you know, I came back to the house a couple times to offload wood, and it was like that little voice in the back of my head was saying, you know, get your phone, get your phone, and I didn't listen to it. And I felt terrible when the incident happened because we had just happened to be offloading sub lumber at my son's place and I'm leaving his driveway and I look over at the uh, ambulance with sirens and lights flashing and pulling into my driveway and I'm thinking what's going on so I rush over there and paramedics are getting their stuff out of the uh, ambulance and what's up boys (laughs) so well somebody's called in they had a heart attack well you know my kind of world fell right there and then and there but, you know, Cheryl's right. She was not fearful. I mean, going through a heart attack is not a great experience, especially if, even if it's not happening to you, it's happening to your, the love of your life. It's a terrible experience. But, you know, God prepares us for things like this because that morning in my devotions, I was reading through Scripture, and the particular passage of Scripture I read through talked about trusting God in all of life's calamities, in the worst situation that you could be in, to not worry, but to trust God. And when I walked in, and I saw the paramedics and my wife there, it's like the Lord brought that scripture back to my mind and said, yeah, I can trust God in this. He's faithful. And besides, we made a promise that she's not supposed to go before me. So so I was really, I was really, I don't know the word to say I was like cocooned in that. And the whole set of experiences that went through there with the hospital and the ambulances and all that stuff. But all that, what I wanted to say was, some of us have been through some terrible things. But we can always look to God and trust Him because He's faithful and He never forsakes us. You know, the devil's right there to rush you. What about this? What about that? What about God? What about Jehovah Rapha, our God that healeth us? 
What about our God whose banner over us is love? What about our God and all of his promises, he said, that are for us to grab a hold of out of his word? He said they're for us each and every day. And so in wrapping up, I wanted to say that God can turn terrible things into... And I asked and I prayed, Lord, what are you going to show me here through this experience? And God showed me compassion to a greater depth than I've ever understood before and thankfulness. You know, if you look around, if you really look around, every minute of every day almost, God is in action around you. If you look and open your eyes to see what he's doing and trust him and say, God, I want more of you. You know, we sang a song here about we can feel him. He's thick all around us. He's thick around us right now. Do you believe that? I came here this morning. I'm looking forward to miracles. I have an expectation of the manifestation of God's power and his presence in this place. Do you? Do you have an expectation? We need to come with hearts of expectation. And God says, yes. It's like a little child running up, daddy, daddy, daddy. It's my dog at the table. He keeps dancing and doing that because they want something. And what do you do? Eventually, you pick them up and you hug them or you give them a little something. And our God is a God that wants to meet your expectations if you trust him today. And as we continue on with the worship here, I just, I just want to uh, encourage you, just release yourself. Say, Lord, I release myself to you in expectation of what you want to do inside of me today. And I guarantee you, yeah, you heard it, I guarantee you God will do something. He'll touch you. You know how I can guarantee that? Because he loves you to do it. He wants you to receive it. Get your hopes up. 
darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken great are you you give life you give life you are love you bring Oh 
And some beautiful voices I was just hearing there too. Lord, we just thank you, God, today that you are indeed great. And we have heard your greatness this morning already. We've heard, of Lord, of how you are the God who is, who is against the odds. You're a God who heals. You're a God who protects. You're a God who delivers your people when they are in need of crying out to you, Lord. And we thank you, Father, for the generations that are represented here in this church. And we're reminded this morning of how important that it is that we are passing on the, the faith, the, the hope that we have onto the generation that is, that is uh, younger. They're here. Uh, they just, they're just a little younger. They're they're crawling around on the floor. They're in their diapers, and some of them are older. And, but, Lord, we just thank you today that they're not the church of tomorrow. They're actually the church of today. They are the church of today. They are the leaders that will rise to, to take the helm and, and to lead the church into the, into the future. And, and, Lord, we just pray this morning that uh, we would have a glimpse of your heart for, for that as well. And that, Father, that you would just be with them, strengthen them, and and you'd encourage them, Lord Jesus, to continue on the track that you'd have them to go, Lord. We we want to see them to become those who are putting their hand to the plow and not looking back. To those who are reaching into the the, deep into the pockets uh, to, to bring out the seeds that you have planted within their hearts and lives of your word and the experience that they've had with you. And they would scatter those seeds abroad. And those, those seeds would, would be finding good soil. And then, Lord, it would bring forth a harvest into the, into the kingdom. And we just thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here among us today. Thank you for the testimonies. Thank you for the songs. Thank you for the worship, Lord, that we can worship you together. in freedom, the freedom that we had, the freedom that we can enjoy today. And so, Father, just bless us, Lord, as we continue, as we look into your word as well. Uh, just bless each heart. Be with each one. We ask in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team, for, for just... Uh, they're a blessing. I'm not sure how you, if you realize just how much of a blessing they are, but they are a blessing. And uh, just some uh, really great uh, abilities that the Lord has blessed the church here with. And... and um, you know, 
we've, uh, we've, we've served in a, a congregation of about 250, and there was times when it would, they proved pretty lean on uh, music. And so just to be able to hear, uh, you know, just to, to be able to, uh, to play with them, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's fun. I, I enjoy it, whether it's on the bass or guitar or, or whatever. It just, it's just, they just make it so easy. So it's a, it's a real blessing. Just want to let you know that. Um, and uh, just continue to pray for your music team. They just want to be sensitive. I know that. They want to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit and, and what the Lord would have to do every time we gather. Every time we gather. And uh, this morning, just a few announcements uh, before we, before we um, turn to um, our offering and uh, as well to, to the word this morning. just want to uh, remind us, of course, uh, that uh, coming up, on the third Sunday is the Heritage Host Ministry to Seniors, and uh, if you, if you have April, Claudia, and Marianne, of course, and Caleb, who are uh, who are studying abroad, and it's great to have Marianne with us this morning, and and uh, she she didn't let me slip too too far till she I mean she even got me right on the front entrance there to pray for me, so uh, yeah she. She, she's definitely into that, That's which is fantastic. Also, uh, we, we've so far, I believe, that, that the number of shoeboxes that have came, came in, and there's some on the back table there, I believe when we counted them all up, um, that there's about 50 boxes, 50 boxes that have came in for Samaritan's Purse. But also I want to let you know um, that as far as my understanding as I was conferring with Penny I believe right now we are prepared to send half of those boxes because the other half, the other 25, uh, the, the requirements to, to be able to get them shipped is at a cost of $10 a box. I remember when it used to be $5 a box, and it was like a $7 a box, and now it's $10 a box. But it does take money to get them to where they need to go. And so just want to bring that before you this morning. But if the Lord would lay it on your heart that you'd want to contribute to the shipment of those uh, shoe boxes to be able to bless a child and in turn bless a family and just to let them know that there are people in other parts of the world who, are, who have them on their heart. And because we've been blessed with so much, how many would agree that we, you're, you're blessed? You know, we are, to be honest, to be honest with you, um, as I was doing a little bit of looking at statistics, uh, we would be considered among the, the top probably 5% most wealthy people uh, on the planet. And uh, sometimes we compare ourselves with other people, but uh, we are indeed a, a, a blessed people. And so we want to be a, a blessing. And I'm thankful that the Lord has, has been able to resource us to, to do that. And so just keep in, in some of those uh, things in mind. And, and continue to pray for uh, your pastor's counsel as well. A number of things that we're looking ahead to as well for the new year. And, and, uh, and of course, budget time is coming up. And we're looking at the budget and so on. And how we're, and, and we want to be able to, to do that reflecting what our priorities are and what the Lord has placed upon the heart, the calling. Because I believe this church has a calling, by the way. Did you know that? And that just doesn't, that's not just about me or or anyone else on the, on the council. This is, a, this is a collective thing. This, I'm looking at, this is a team effort, amen? That there's a calling, there's a purpose, that why we're here. And um, it's not just to worship the Lord, although that's a great thing, to give glory to the Lord is uh, a great thing. But we want to be an active 
uh, people who are bearing witness that Jesus is alive. He's alive, amen? He's alive and we know that he sent forth the Spirit and the Spirit we know is living. If you are a born-again believer, you've been born again by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is living within you. And, And the Spirit will bear witness that you are his kid. You're his child, adopted into his family. And because of the life that we have and the hope that we were singing about, how many understand we also have a calling? We also have a responsibility to be able to share the word, to share the gospel with others. And as we uh, consider that, we're going to receive our, our morning tithe and offering as we give back to the Lord a portion that he has blessed us with and uh, so we're going to pray here in, in just a few seconds. Brother Frank, would you, uh, would you lead us when that slide hits the screen? As we receive today's offering, we are believing you for heaven opened, earth invaded, Store houses unlocked and miracles created, dreams and visions, angelic visitations, declaration, impartation, and divine manifestations, anointings, giftings, and calls, positions and promotions, provisions and resources, to go to the nations, souls and more souls from every generation, saved and set free, carrying kingdom revival, Thank you, Father, as I join my value system to yours. You will shower favor, blessing, and increase upon me, so I have more than enough to co-labor with heaven to see Jesus get his full reward. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. This morning, if we could turn in Mark chapter 5. Here we are. We're... Um, we know that um, the Lord's table is, is part of what we're doing today. And um, so I just want to take a few moments to, to look, at, look at Jesus as an example. How many understand this morning that um, we've been called... As, as followers of Jesus to, to go the way of the cross, to go the way of the cross. This morning I want to just talk about the way of the cross. I'm going to talk about three things, and we're going to get into that in just a, f- a few moments. But in, in reading Mark, out of Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45, 32 to 45, it reads, and, and they were on their way up to Jerusalem and Jesus leading the way. Now, I want to stop right there and just uh, put a little bit of a, a context to this, that um, we, we know that as things progressed in Jesus' ministry, that Jesus got a little more serious. He got a little more serious. He got a little more serious with his disciples in what it really meant to follow him. And so, as it says, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. And again, he took the twelve aside 
and he told him what was going to happen to him. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him, and three days later he will rise. And then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's an interesting statement. And in verse 36, Jesus, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. And they replied, let one of us sit on your right and the others on your left in your glory. And you do not know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. And then Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right hand, my, my right or my or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John, and Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So, Lord, this morning we just bow once again in your presence and we just ask that, God, that you'll help us to, to, to grasp this. Not only grasp this truth, Lord, but that we would embrace it. We would want to live by it. We would want to follow after you and your ways. Because, Lord, as we come together as a, as a congregation, as an assembly of believers gathering at this local church, we, Lord, as we gather around the Lord's table, we, we see that in this text that we've read that there is something that, we can see that is embodied in these emblems as well. So, Father, today we just pray that your truth would be heard. Holy Spirit, just bear it to our hearts, to our minds. May we walk it out. May we embody it. Not only to bring you glory, Lord, but to also be as a witness to others, God, of whom we serve follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One of the the convictions that I have is, and I'm going to frame this eventually. I'm going to take time to flesh this out even more detail. I won't do it today because this is going to turn into a series, just to let you know. But I really believe that one of the things that we have to recognize when it comes to how we live and how we act and how we think as followers of Jesus, it sets up a very stark contrast with the way that the world lives. If you look in the Old Testament as an example, you'll find that Israel uh, was set apart, uh, sanctified. They were set apart as a holy nation 
unto God, and God was their king, God was their Lord. And so they were to be different. They were to reflect their king. They were to be like their king. They were to honor their king. So there was a difference, or at least there should have been. Now, of course, we know that God brought down laws and brought down the law of Moses, and, and, and there were civil laws, and there were ceremonial laws, and there were moral laws. Of course, those moral laws don't change. We look at some of the civil laws and, uh, and the ceremonial laws of, of Israel, and we notice that there's things that you know, wouldn't apply, but when it comes to the moral and the ethical laws that God laid down, it represents his character. Therefore, it never changes never changes. But how many understand this morning is those who are following Jesus that there should be a difference between us and those who don't? Unfortunately, as one writer, Ronald Sider, had indicated in a book, a small book, uh, maybe 150 pages, uh, I don't know if you've ever read it or not, Scandal the Evangelical Conscience. What he noted was, unfortunately, when it came to Christians in North America, there wasn't really a lot of differences. Christians were living a lot the same as the world was. Talking about evangelical, born, those who confess to be born again. But those who follow Jesus should be different. Disciples of Christ should be different. And therefore, there should be a difference in our morals. There should be a difference in our values. There should be even a difference in the goals that we have for our lives because as people who are supposed to be or we should be and I want to encourage us that if, if, if you're struggling with this that, that we need to, and, I, and, I, and I know I do because we're, we're human but how many understand that we, we want to yield to the leading of the Spirit and as the Spirit as we are in the Word the, the, the Spirit will illuminate that's one of the jobs that the Holy Spirit has He'll bring, he'll bring truth to us he'll, he'll even convict us yes He'll convict us means that we are in an, there's an area that needs attention. But there should be a difference. And the account we just read this, uh, just a few moments ago, we find that in verse 33, Jesus is looking toward Jerusalem. He's explaining to them what's going to happen to him. That he's going to be delivered to the chief priests. He's going to be delivered over to the teachers of the law. He's going to be condemned to death. He's going to be handed over to them. And they're going to mock him, they're going to spit on him, they're going to flog him, they're going to kill him. And he says in three days that he's going to rise from the dead. I don't know about you, but if I were standing and I heard Jesus say that, that probably would have grabbed my attention. At least I hope it would have. Because what he was saying was very, very serious. Very serious stuff. And I don't know about... You know, I don't know about uh, when it came to, to James and, and, and John here. I don't know if these guys had attention deficit disorder or something. But it seems like their mind wasn't even with Jesus. They weren't even tracking with him here. Because it's interesting that out of their mouth comes this really strange request. And he says, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Here's Jesus and he's just explained that he's going to be killed... He's going to rise in three days, and they're thinking about themselves. Doesn't that strike you as a little odd? And he asked this question. He says, what do you want me to do for me? And they said, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And here was Mark 
or Jesus, excuse me, in Mark 8, telling his disciples about taking up a cross. You'll find it again in, in Luke 9. And, she, and Jesus tells them that he's on his way to die on a cross in weakness and in shame. And these guys are thinking about thrones of power and glory. Interesting. Interesting. And as I said before, those who are following Jesus, there should be a contrast. And there's a contrast, three of them, that I see in this text this morning. Three. The first contrast is between selfish ambition and sacrifice. Selfish ambition and sacrifice. Verse 35 again, notice what they ask. They say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, I don't know about you, but it sounds to me like it's probably one of the most blatant, self-centered prayers, especially after what Jesus has told them. So here they were. Jesus is explaining what's going to happen, and they're scrambling to grab the best seats in, in, in the house, so to speak. One person defines selfish ambition as always looking out for one's own interests above the interests of everyone else. Now, you might have heard this story, I don't know, but, but there was two friends who, were, who had met for dinner in a restaurant, and each of them re- requested a fillet of sole. And after a few minutes, the waiter came back with the order, two large pieces of fish, or excuse me, two pieces of fish. One was large and, and, and one was small. And they were on the same platter. So one of the men proceeded to serve his friend. So he placed a small piece on a plate and he handed it across the table. Sounds like at our, no, just joking. I was going to say it sounds like at our house. He said, well, you certainly ha- do have nerve, his friend said. He said, well, what's troubling you? The other guy asked, he said, well, look what you've done. You've given me the little piece, and you've kept the big piece for yourself. How would you have done it, the man asked. And the friend replied, if I were serving, I would have given you the big piece. He said, well, I've got it, haven't I? And then they both, of course, chuckled about that. Selfish ambition. If I can define it a little bit further than that, selfish ambition really comes down to what I want, what I desire, what my hopes are, what my dreams are, concerned about my security, my comfort, my status, my feelings, my priorities, and so on. It's all about me. I become the center of my own universe. And you probably heard it said about three people, you know, there's, it's me, me and the other two. It's me, myself, and I, Right? Selfish ambition. But can I just explain this morning, and I know you know this truth, so this isn't anything extremely uh, profound. But folks, that is not, that is not what Jesus is all about. That is not following the way of the cross. That is not being kingdom-minded. That is not what citizens of the kingdom live like. In Mark 8, 34 to 36, 34 says, Then he called a crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple, this is back in Mark 8, and I'm, and I'm setting up a contrast here, Mark 8, that whoever wants to be my disciple must, listen to this, deny himself or themselves and take up their cross 
and follow me. Luke, in Luke 9, 23, frames it this way. That if anyone would want to come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. And Mark goes on to say, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? These are the words of Jesus. They're not my words. They're these words of Jesus. And they sound strong. They sound strong. He says, whoever wants to be my follower. Whoever wants to be, in the Hebrew I believe is Talmudim. Whoever wants to be my apprentice. If you really want to follow where I'm going, Jesus says you need to turn your back on yourself your self-interest because it's not about us and you need to take up your cross what does that mean Lord to take up your cross I don't know about you but the cross was a instrument of Roman execution it was not fun and games that if you were carrying a cross it meant that you were surely going to die and that's what Jesus is telling his disciples here, his followers. What is he saying to us today? He's saying that if we're going to follow him, we need to take up our cross. We need to take up an instrument of execution. It means that if we want to follow Jesus, if we really want to be like him, if we want to embrace the good news of the kingdom of God, if we truly want to embody it, if we really want to be the witness that he calls us to be, and if folks, I truly believe, it is only by the power of the Spirit that we can really fulfill this because the flesh is way too weak ever to make what Jesus wants us to be. We can never be conformed by the flesh. It's only by the Spirit. We must deny ourselves. We must do, we must not turn our back on Jesus like Peter did three times. We must turn our back on ourselves and the world. It means that we die to ourselves. It means that we turn away from the idolatry of self-centeredness. It means, as Paul said, that those who belong to Christ, Paul says this, he says, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and its desires. And, and it's not just giving up the parties or, or giving up a certain type of a lifestyle or as some people would say, you know, I don't smoke or drink and, 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 and dance and chew and hang out with those who do. It's not just those things. And I remember growing up that that seemed to be the list. You had the list of the do's and the don'ts, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, you couldn't go here and you couldn't go there and you couldn't go to the theater. When I was a kid, you couldn't go to the theater because what if Jesus came back when you were at the theater but nobody was thinking about, well, what if you were in a gossip fest if Jesus came back? What if you were backbiting and chewing up your brother or your sister in the church when Jesus came back? No, no, we're more concerned about the outward stuff rather than the inside stuff. And I don't know you, but I find that when Paul talks about the acts of the sinful nature, it's not just the outside stuff. It's the inside stuff, too. It's the attitudes of the heart. 
It's the things that God, the Holy Spirit, puts His finger on. And no one else knows about it except you and Him. And He gets all your, he, he, he gets your attention. He's a gentleman. He'll get your attention. And He lays His finger on something that's in the deepest, darkest regions of your heart that you think others don't know about, but He does. And He puts His finger on that. And He says, we need to have an appointment. We need to, to discuss this. And sometimes it's not easy to admit. Because, folks, can I just say that God is more concerned. We, we have this here idea today in, in the church, in North American gospel, is all about making me happy. Now, I have nothing against being happy, but I want you to know that my happiness usually depends on my circumstance. Anybody discover that? That your happiness is circumstantial. It ebbs and flows. It's up and down. And so you have people who are joyful one moment or they seem to be you know, all dancing around. They're all happy. The next thing you know, they're down in the doldrum. And I think to myself, how in the world did Paul pen Ephesians? And if you read Ephesians chapter 1, you'll notice, and, and I'm not a Greek scholar, by the way. I took elementary Greek, but you forget most of the stuff when you're done that after a while, unless you're doing it all the time. But when you read Ephesians, Paul is writing from a prison. He is writing. He's under house arrest. He's a prisoner, and he's excited about what God is doing. And he writes to the Ephesians with this big run-on sentence telling them about their position in Jesus where he's positioned in a prison. Folks, that's not happiness. That is a deep sense of joy that you have because of your relationship with God. You're a changed, transformed person. You know what you're there for. You know why God's made you. You know what your mission is. You know what your purpose is. You know that it's nothing about you, but it's everything about Him. Because, folks, that's what happened to Paul on his road to Damascus. He had a transformation. Totally, 180 degrees. This Pharisee of the Pharisees, Hebrew of the Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin, and all the pedigree that he had, here he was on his way, zealous as could be, thinking he was doing God's will. And all of a sudden now on the road to Damascus, he encounters the risen Jesus. And his life is totally changed. Do you think that Paul understood what it meant? To give up your selfish ambitions and to sacrifice your life for Jesus Christ? You want to believe he did. Paul talks about his sufferings, talks about his hardships, but Paul understood, and that's why we go to a guy like this and we read what the Spirit inspired him to say, because it was something deep within Paul, something that, I don't know about you, but something, I, 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 I want that, I want that, I want what Paul had. Because I'm like a lot of others, and I'm going to be honest and transparent, that, that there's times when, when circumstances in life can cause your emotions to go all kind of haywire. You know, it's not a constant, it's, 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 it's all over the map. Paul understood what it meant to die to the self. He knew what it meant to follow Jesus. He knew what it meant to give his life in, sac in sacrificial service. And we know that Paul was definitely a prototype. So can I ask us this morning, 
that it is can I, can I ask us how we're doing in that area because I truly believe this that if, if we're if we're going to be a people who can I just say it, it's it's very romantic it's a romantic notion I've heard people I've heard people, two things, I want to bring two things to your attention. Number one, I've heard people say, oh, we really want to pray to the Lord for revival. That God would bring revival. Well, you know that when, I've heard of people, when, when God's presence and power hit their local church, it was all sorts of people who were coming to Jesus, and when they did, I want you to understand that uh, they, they had baggage, and they had problems, and they had all kinds of things going on in their life. And I want you to know that when they said when revival came, it was also a lot of work. Their time wasn't their own anymore. Their life wasn't their own anymore. And so some wonder if we know what we're praying for and what we're hoping for. And I also know that it's a romantic notion. When it comes to wanting to do things, you know, reaching people for... for listen, I, I truly believe the church needs to reach people for Jesus, but can I also say that with reaching people for Jesus comes sacrifice? Sacrifice of your time, a sacrifice of your resources? It's, it's very inconvenient for somebody to give you a call and ask if we can have counseling at 11 o'clock at night. And a whole family shows up after 11 o'clock at night. And then there's, a, there's a, uh, a decision that has to be made. And the question is, is can, can our son stay with you overnight while we address our family crisis? It's inconvenient. It's inconvenient. But I want you to understand that if we follow the way of the cross, if we follow Jesus... He said that he came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life. Did you catch that? To give his life as a ransom for many. To lay his life down. The second thing. That might have been a long point. But the second thing. There's a contrast between power and service. Power and service. Again, it would seem kind of strange that James and John would want power and honor. They wanted to sit on each side of Jesus in glory. He wanted to, they wanted to sit on thrones beside Jesus. Sitting on thrones. Not bad for guys who right now are kind of, you know, they, they came out of the fishing industry. They had a pretty good business. They had their father... And the employees, but I want you to understand something that Peter and Peter, or excuse me, that, that James and John sort of had their heads in the wrong place. Because do, do you know that the world, that is one of the things that people are hungry for in the world, is power. Power. The world loves power. People want to be in in, in control. People want to lord over others. We want to be in the spotlight. 
And that's where your people who are your politicians and your celebrities and all the people that we would say is in the upper crust of society. They are the ones who have the resources. They are the ones who have the cloak. They are the ones who have the influence. Power. Power. And there will be people who will do whatever it takes to get to the top. They will step on as many as need be to get their way to the top. We even see that played out in local schools. I remember when I was in high school, if you didn't wear Nike sneakers, if you didn't have Tommy Hilfiger jeans, well, you felt it. You felt it. And so you put the pressure on your parents to at least get one pair of Nikes or Reeboks or deck shoes or whatever was in style and you had to wear white socks when I was going to school. Yeah. Because it was the haves and the have-nots. And it was very easy to see what happened to the ones that didn't have a whole lot. It wasn't their fault. That was just their situation. But how many understand that that's the value system that the world has? Because what they were to school represented the socioeconomic status that they found themselves in. And the better you are off, for some reason, I really don't know why, but people hold you in higher esteem. So no wonder, no wonder they were looking for thrones. And of course, they were in a culture, in a Roman culture, that was very hierarchical. People were divided very rigidly into different classes. For example, there was the Roman Senate that was up at the top in the equestrian class, and there were people who had lots of wealth and power. And underneath of that was was another class. They were somewhat wealthy, but not as wealthy as the other class. And so, again, there was all these different classes in Roman society. And, of course, with those different situations, there was also different rights you'll remember that Paul was a Roman citizen as an example and of course with all those different classes at the very end the very bottom of the totem pole was the slaves so there was a very elaborate and complicated caste system And clothes, just like I mentioned in school, clothes would show what type of class that you were in. And so only Roman citizens would be allowed to wear a toga. Other ones would wear uh, stripes on their togas to show their status. But if you were a slave, you would wear a tunic. You didn't get to wear a toga because you weren't in that class. And it reminded you of where you were in the whole scheme of things. And so, of course, Roman life was, was arranged around guilds that had wealthy patrons and so on and so forth. And so if you went to a meal or a festival, it would be those who would be at the, the higher classes would get to eat first. Okay? 
You following this? So then there would be those who would be, so they go down the different class systems. But if you were a slave, if you were a slave, and if there's anything left, that's what you got. See, that's why Jesus said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. That's the context in which they were in. But Jesus is basically saying that, look, when you're in the Christian community, when you're following Jesus... That if you were a slave and you went into a house where the church would gather, and this is one of the reasons why Paul was really upset over the Lord's table in, in 1 Corinthians 11. We've heard it said about how, you know, you shouldn't eat the, you shouldn't partake un, in an unworthy manner. We've always made it about sin. But I want you to, if you read the context, folks, the problem was they were treating like this was like just a regular house gathering. And so there will be those who were in the upper crust and they would come in and they would eat first. And so the next thing you know, those who were the slaves got what was left over. There was no regard for the body. I've heard it said many times that, oh, eating in an unworthy manner, and, and, and that's about sin in your life. The unworthy manner is they didn't regard the body. They were living as though they weren't even saved. They had no regard for those who didn't have enough. But if you're in, 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 in the Christian context... And the way that it should be, that if you were a slave and you went to the house where the church would gather, and they met in home houses, by the way, probably 20 to 50 people, that if you were a slave and you were never served your whole life, you were someone who served but you never had been served, could you imagine if someone was serving you who was in a higher class than you were? Someone who was wearing a toga. Someone who wore the stripes. And you as a slave wearing your tunic. You knew your station in society. But now you've got someone who is above you. But they're now, instead of you getting what's left over, you're being served. And some of the very best. Could you imagine what the slave would have thought if they walked into a church where that was the practice. Everybody, when they're in there, in the new community, okay, out there, yeah, okay, we're in a different class. Yeah, sure, of course. Uh, but guess what? As, as believers, we serve one another. Are you catching this? There's a contrast between power and service. And so could you imagine that when the slave would come in, And there was someone of a higher class would serve them. And they were probably blown away thinking, wow, what kind of a community is this? What kind of a host is this? This isn't how life works out there. No, no, no. It's because this is a brand new community. This is a community that are followers of Jesus. This is a community that is birthed and shaped by the Holy Spirit. It's different. We don't operate the same way. It's a contrast between power and, and service. 
And so, folks, what Jesus was laying is he was laying, and this is how the kingdom works, that instead of throwing your weight around, instead of manipulating others, instead of exploiting or terrorizing other people, he says, no, 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 this is not the way it works in the kingdom of God. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, whoever wants to wear the stripes, so to speak, whoever wants to wear the toga among you needs to be the servant, the slave. Of all. Did you catch that? That's why people have often said that the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. I think it just sets everything right side up. Not so with you. And then he says in Mark 10 45 that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom. For many. So the Christian community is marked by those who take up their cross, and it's marked by humility, and it's marked by service. We're not called to wear a purple robe, so to speak, but we're called to put on the aprons. We're not called to a throne of ivory and gold, but we are called to that basin of water where we wash one another's feet. Third thing, the third contrast, between comfort and suffering. Teacher, they said, we want you to do what, for us whatever we ask. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, and here's what they said. Let one of us sit at your right, the other on your left in your glory. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And they said, yes, we can. But here's the problem. The problem is that they had no idea what they were saying. They had their head in the clouds. They were daydreaming. They were sitting on thrones. They were daydreaming about the goblets that they were going to be drinking from when it came to the great messianic banquet. Totally missed what Jesus was referring to. And Jesus was referring to something that is really not popular theology anymore. And that is that Jesus was saying that there was a contrast between comfort and suffering. Suffering. Now, my wife knows about suffering. She's been married to me for 20 years. And she'd probably say amen to that. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Long suffering, right, dear? She's smiling at me. She'd probably get mad at me. I don't know. She probably should. I'll find out later. I remember doing some study on Pentecostal pioneers. And um, I think of the church services that they had at Azusa Street. You know, we, we, we look back at Azusa Street and, um, and we think of that as a, as a beginning point. Yes, it was a beginning point in, in, uh, in the United States. And sometimes uh, it's easy to to kind of look back and say, oh, wouldn't it be great to be at Azusa Street and experience what they experienced. Can I tell you what they experienced? They they met in an old African Episcopal church, Methodist church, that that had had a fire. And that fire had scorched the outside of the building. It was really, really unattractive. And they met in there, and and there were just uh, orange crates 
I believe it was, that they put uh, to, to create a pulpit. And uh, there were just wooden planks for, for pews. And people, you know, get upset about chairs. Well, these are very comfortable, aren't they? And I read about how in the summertime it was so hot and people were so sweaty. And let me just tell you that, that the writer didn't mention a whole lot about soap and detergent. Or deodorant, excuse me. Soap and deodorant. And the flies that were there. The flies that were in that place was just awful. There was no carpet. No, not even red carpet in on the floors in, in the Azusa Street Church. But can I tell you that those things were not as important as it was. See, their comfort wasn't as important as, as it was to gather together to worship the Lord, and they had a burden for lost souls. In fact, I remember reading... Uh, one, one book where the writer mentioned that from about March of 1906 to December of 1906, within that year, or less than a year, within months, that they had missionaries from Azusa Street in 50 countries. And can I tell you, they didn't raise money through PAOC or Assemblies of God shared funding. They never had any money. All they had was a burden and the call of God to take what little that they had and to go on to faith. So many of them is left with, with a burden, a Bible, and a bag. Didn't sound like they were interested in thrones or power or comfort. But despite having nothing, that move of God produced scores of people who are miraculously saved and healed and delivered. And, and set free of demon possession and, and alcoholism and all sorts of other vices that had gripped people's lives. There were scores of people who came into the kingdom of God because there was a people who understood that it was more important to suffer for Christ than to be comfortable. And yet today we define our service for Christ and I'm not trying to, you know, be facetious here. But I remember thinking back as a kid, hearing testimonies on a Sunday night, and people getting up and saying, you know, thank the Lord I've been saved for 40 years, and I serve Him every day, and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, okay, that's great. But then as I reflected, I thought to myself, what did we actually do to serve Jesus, to really serve Him? Does it mean that you came to service? Nothing wrong with coming to service, by the way. It's a good thing to come to service. It's a good thing to gather together as the church. It's a good thing to worship the Lord. It's a good thing to, to give toward the, the, the work of the gospel. It's good to, to uh, pull our resources to send missionaries and all those things. There's nothing wrong with those things. But if coming to church to sit in padded chairs week after week after week is really, if that's where it ends, then I ask myself the question, what have we really done serve Jesus what have we really done to follow the way of the cross because folks I really truly believe that if we're going to be effective if we're going to be effective for Christ in these days and my wife and I was talking about this and if I you can just 
bear with me just a few more moments. I believe if you look at where things are going in our country, yes, I mean, we had, we had a Bill C-51. Was that what it was? When it came to protection for religious services, that the government wanted to, to uh, remove that, And you ask the question, how long is it going to be? How much longer is it going to be when next thing you know, CRA is going to be saying, well, you know, we're going to pull charitable statuses from religious organizations. Or that it's going to become more and more and more difficult. The, the government is already, society is already pushing us back in behind closed doors. To say, it's, it's okay, it's okay to worship Jesus and talk about Jesus and talk about Bible and all that stuff while you're doing your thing but out there we don't want that that's that's hate literature and that's bigotry and 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 uh, that doesn't go along with what Canadians have come to expect I'm convinced that we're moving full circle because we're no longer the government has our backs anymore no longer are we living in what they called Christendom. We are now being pushed to the margins of our communities. We're no longer in the center of town. And we're being pushed further and further and further away. And yet, to be effective as followers of Jesus in our time, we're going to have to come back and ask ourselves a very fundamental question. Jesus, what does it truly mean to follow you? What does it truly mean to be following the way of the cross? And can I just suggest that there is a contrast here between power and service and comfort and suffering and sacrifice and selfish ambition. I believe that it's going to take people who have thicker skin. It's going to take people who are going to be sold out. It's going to be taking people who believe that the cause of Christ is worth laying our lives down for. It's going to take some tough soldiers who are not going to leave their local assembly because the pastor didn't shake their hand that Sunday. Can I say this? Folks, there's more, there's bigger fish to fry. There's a world out there without Jesus that need to know him. They need to see a community of believers whose lives reflect what Jesus has told us to be. And when we couple that with the power and the demonstration of the kingdom of God, where lives like Paul's totally transform. Where cripples who were begging for years are now standing on their feet, going through the temple, jumping and leaping and praising God. When we see people who were delivered of demons, and they're real, and we take that and we couple that, we couple the, the quality of the community of the Spirit, and we combine that with the power and the demonstration of the kingdom. Folks, that's when we've got ourselves a very powerful, provocative, and prophetic witness. And I believe and I'm convinced of it that 
that the Lord Jesus Christ poured out the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of prophecy, not just so that we can have words. And I did receive a word. Uh, Ed had a word of knowledge. I know he did this morning as he was praying for me. And those are fantastic things, words of prophecy, words of wisdom, knowledge, revelation, all of those, fan- all of those the charismata, the, the gifts of the Spirit, they're all important in the body of Christ. But folks, can I just suggest that I believe that when the, because of the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, that it constitutes this, this new community, that the, 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 those who are following Jesus, to be a powerful, prophetic community. Not just with prophetic ministry, but to be a powerful prophetic entity. In word and deed. And as we stand this morning, and I, as, as we ask the worship team to come back, as we reflect on this this morning, I, why, why, why preach on this? Well, folks, we're, we're getting around the Lord's table. We're getting around the Lord's table. And the emblems here this morning... Is, is not just about the sacrifice that Jesus has made. It's not just about the atonement. But, I, but if you notice, it's not just about the sin part. It takes care of our sin. Thank the Lord. It takes, but, but the broken body and the blood of Jesus also represents the fact that he gave his all. He gave his all. He gave his all for us. He gave his all for the world. And I believe the call is very simple. That Jesus wants his disciples to follow after and to take up their cross. To be servants, not lords. To give their lives for the cause of Christ and for the cause of the gospel. And this morning as we, as we move to serve these elements, my prayer this morning is that we would renew This is a symbol of the new covenant in his blood. And this morning that we would renew that with our Lord today. We would renew that covenant relationship. And to say, Lord, I see that you paid it all for me. You paid it all for the world that you gave. The Lord came and and he gave his life for the entire world to, to lay down his life as a ransom for many. And it says that while we were yet sinners, the Bible says Christ died for us. So, Father, we come to this portion of the service. And, Father, we recognize and we regard what these symbols mean. The crackers representing the broken crackers, the broken body. The grape juice, the the blood of Jesus that was shed so that we could have new life. That we could be found in the kingdom of God. But Lord, you've also, also sent us into the world. You said, as the Father has sent me, I have sent the Spirit. And now I'm sending you. And folks, the Bible talks about our identity in Christ. It talks about the Spirit, the same Spirit that empowered Jesus, empowers us. 
for the same ministry. To tell the world that they need to repent and turn to Jesus. To heal the sick, to raise the dead. And that sounds so exciting. But we also recognize, Lord, that there is a cost. There is a cost involved. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to count the cost and that we would be willing to pay the price. Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray by your spirit today that you will speak and you will minister. That, God, that you will shape us, mold us, and make us into who you want us to be. God, that you will download vision as well into our assembly and to the leaders and, and, and to everyone that is here. That, God, that you will give such a gripping vision and burden for this community. And that, Lord, that we will have the courage, we will have the boldness, we'll have the strength and the grace to move out and to do that which you've called and you purposed for us to do. May we renew our commitment to the way of the cross this morning. Can I ask our, our council members that are here to come and, and ushers that can help augment? I think we have need four.
reading from Luke's Gospel. It says, When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And so after taking the cup, he gave thanks. And he said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. So Lord, we just uh, pause this morning recognizing that the blood of Jesus, this is the new covenant in your blood. And Father, we just ask today that God, that you would, Lord, that you would just, that God, that you would just reinstate it. Look, Lord, Lord, we would desire today to renew our covenant with you. That, Father, that we would be people who would desire to pursue the kingdom and all that it entails. And I pray, Lord, that as we commit, recommit, that God, that we there would be a, just a, a fresh outpouring of the power and the blessing and the presence of God in this place and among the people that gather here. Lord, that you'd fill us, fill us to overflowing with a renewed sense of power and a renewed sense of joy and a renewed commitment to serve you and to follow you wherever it goes, wherever you lead, Lord, that we'll be willing to follow. And so we pray today that, God, that you'll bless this element yes. of communion. And for those, Lord Jesus, that are here partaking as well, that, God, if there's, there's healing that's needed, that, Lord, you would heal both body and soul today as we partake. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul would do the bread first, but Jesus is doing the the wine first. So we'll take the wine, the grape juice first. And in verse 19, he says, He took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he said to them, Do this in remembrance of me. I think I got ahead of myself. Ryan, Ryan would you would you uh, ask God's blessing on this portion? Lord, we thank you for your for your body that was broken. Thank you for all that you went through. Everything that you fulfilled, everything that you took on. And we thank you for your willingness to take that on, Lord. For taking our wrath. For taking what we deserve. So we thank you, Lord, for this bread. I ask you to bless it.
Thank you, Lord. Bless your name. Bless your name. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 We're going to um, ask some folks to come together around the front here before we shift gears. We have a number of shoe boxes. And uh, so some of the shoe boxes are here. And some of the shoe boxes are in the back. So if you're in the back and you want to go back there as well, that's perfectly fine. But if we could... Uh, just see now. I wonder if we can move the table. We'll move the table up. Do the honors to lead us in prayer over these shoeboxes. Father, as these, uh, as we hold these shoeboxes, we just declare your blessing and your anointing to go with these, all these shoeboxes into the homes and into the families. That these shoeboxes wouldn't just bring. Uh, joy because of the gifts, but that your gift would go with them, that there would be healings, there would be salvations in these families, that each of these children would come to know you as their personal, as you, their personal Lord and Savior of their lives. We just declare safety and, um, and, and a smooth delivery of, e of the shoeboxes and the workers that go to, to deliver them. I just declare blessing over each person who prepared a shoebox. In your name we pray those things.
And just keep in mind as well that uh, we still do have um, need to uh, ship the boxes. And just before we go, um, if I could get Gene to come. we go, just want to give everybody a, a heads up that uh, the Jean who is, who is with us this today and gave a testimony, of course, uh, had attended the church a few few years ago. Just want to give you a heads up um, that he has a he has a coffee ministry and uh, the coffee that is being sold through his business uh, it's coffee that's being produced out of, I believe it's out of British Columbia. Is that right? And just to let you know that um, the, uh, the pro- proceeds, or I shouldn't say the proceeds, but proceeds from the coffee sales goes toward a uh, mission in, I believe it was the Congo. Is that right? In East Africa? In East Africa. And so uh, today he's not going to give any uh, presentation on that, but I just wanted to give you a heads up that, um, that uh, he's, he's doing that and he's, he's wondering if there's anybody, you know, there'll be chances to have samples and so on of the, of the coffee. Um, how many here would, are, are coffee drinkers? Great coffee drinkers. Uh, Tim Hortons? Who's Tim Hortons? Who's, who's McDonald's? Okay, well, you got some, I can whatever, right? Because coffee's gone. So this is coffee culture, right? So, so isn't it great, though, that, uh, that we would have an opportunity uh, if, if, uh, if, that, uh, if the Lord leads us to do that, that we would be able to not only drink coffee, but that we would be making an investment into the work of the kingdom. And so I just want to give you a heads up um, on that. And there's going to be an opportunity for Gene to, to share a little bit about that at a later date and to bring samples of the coffee. I know we serve coffee here. We drink coffee at home. We go to social functions and drink coffee. So um, great opportunity to be able to fund the work of the kingdom. Amen. So just to give you a little information on that and more to follow. So, uh, Lord, we just thank you for this gathering and we thank you for our worship time that we were able to worship you in the word. We just pray, Holy Spirit, that you will continue to cultivate this community, cultivate and shape our lives. Lord, we just pray that, God, that you will uh, help us to, to remain on the potter's wheel. Help us to be molded and shaped. Help us to be pruned. Help us, Lord, to, to be molded in who you want us to be. Not only as individuals, but as a community. So that we can bring glory and honor and we can witness powerfully for Jesus Christ and his soon coming kingdom in this community. So, Lord, bless each one that is gathered here today. 
May, may your presence and power be with them as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.